Brilliant Misfits, Episode 67, with Helena Ryan, talking about ancestral clearing. I found with ancestral work is is belief systems run through the ancestral line, but they can be expressed or activated differently in family members. So it's not about looking at the, the response or the behavior. It's more about looking at the belief system. Hello and welcome to Brilliant Misfits, talks with women who are the renegades, the creatives, the entrepreneurs, the artists who didn't fit in and how they've turned it around by courageously following the beat of their own heart. We'll be discussing all things creative, mindful and artful to inspire you to do it your way and be brilliant with your host, Asia Kennedy. Welcome back, everyone, to Brilliant Misfits. If you're new to the podcast, thank you so much for being here. I love sharing with you the inspiring stories of our guests, all walks of life, coaches, artists, businesswomen, entrepreneurs, healers, spiritual guides, and mentors. These women have grown up feeling like they didn't quite fit in, and they found their unique path to sharing their gifts, and they come on the show to inspire and encourage you to be true to you and be brilliant. There's so much wisdom that gets shared on the show, and today is no exception. My guest today is Helena Ryan. And she is an ancestral clearer who heals intergenerational patterns and beliefs that have been passed down through the family line from seven generations ago and clears them seven generations forward. Now, this is something she didn't set out to do. It has been a coming together of all her life's work and modalities, and she describes this as being something her son called in. So welcome to the show, Helena. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So welcome. I'm delighted. So I want to jump way back to your childhood growing up. Where did you grow up? I actually grew up on a pineapple and macadamia farm right near a very small town. It's called Tyro. It's near Maryborough in Queensland. So if you drive through, it's on the main highway. And if you drive through it and you blink, you will probably miss it. (laughs) small town it's really small right now I I know from just looking at some of your uh, Facebooks and things like that that you have coined this term rainbow sheep and I Mm -hmm. love that you're a rainbow sheep and you're creating a tribe of rainbow sheep I think so can you tell us a little bit about what that is it's something that it's a term that I've been using for a little while when I've been speaking to people and clients because the word black sheep has never never really resonated with me yet it's probably quite close to how I would describe myself and the more I, I stepped into this work the more I recognized that there was nothing black sheep about you know women like ourselves we were we were rainbow sheep and you know, we, we bring color and life and light in a way that, that is really unique and different. And I really started to recognize that this uniqueness is actually a, a form of leadership. So it's a leadership style that has been greatly misunderstood and greatly missed. And so one of the, the traits of, of a rainbow sheep is the fact that, or, you know, the aspect that they just don't fit in anywhere. They don't feel like they fit in anywhere, whether it be um, family, whether it be work, whether it be at social gatherings, there's just this quality that makes us feel like that, that we don't quite fit in. And it's often viewed 
as, as something, um, I guess, negative, but I've come to recognize it's actually a very strong leadership trait. Mm, I love that. Now, of course, I can resonate deeply to everything you say. <laughs> and, um, and I also can imagine that you were the rainbow sheep of your family. Yes, I was. Mm. I am still. And you still. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm interested in what you mean by leadership style. Like, what is the difference between a rainbow sheep style leadership and just sort of what's out there? type of leadership that we see women in business do? I guess when, when most people think of leadership, they think of the person who's holding center stage. Mm. They think of they think of the person who has um, you know, a massive Facebook group following or they think of the person who, um, you know, swords drawn, forging new worlds. And whilst that is one form of, of leadership, that, that take charge kind of leadership, there's actually other styles of leadership out there, and this is where the rainbow sheep has kind of been hiding in plain sight, that they're the people who who work side by side with other people and through their, their words, a sentence, uh, asking a type of a better question, a type of question that nobody thinks about, they instigate and they create change around them. And it's more in a one-on-one style versus a commanding of, of others or or holding a larger space, there's a quality around it that is 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 really um, potent form of leadership, and it's it's just not considered a leadership style because it's not out front, and that's that's the leadership style I'm becoming more and more interested in, because it's these women who are making the I guess the biggest changes to the world from what I can see in the people I work with, and I've always reflect on the quote that the Dalai Lama has said, and he said that Western women are going to be the ones who change the world. And I really, I really get that through this lens of looking through leadership. And I also really understand it because we're the ones birthing these children into the world who are the star children, the change agents. So it's it's something that's been coming together all year. And for me, and it really it just it's just really landed recently. Really, what a rainbow leader is, and it's something to be to be honoured within ourselves. Mm, I'm I'm really loving this. And, you know, I think that's very important what you're bringing up, Helen, about leadership. You know, like I think we do have a sort of rigid idea of what leadership is and what you're doing is just expanding, expanding that definition. And I think that's a really important expansion that um, we do see leadership in a different way, especially for women, you know, we like, yes. I'm not a take charge person. I'm certainly not an extrovert. I'm not really dynamic in that way that, you know, people think of leadership. Um, but I do believe that change happens in those quiet places of just asking the question and listening and being a catalyst for change in other people so that they can step into their power. This is what I'm hearing you saying. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I guess, it, like I moved from North Queensland uh, to Brisbane about four years ago, and I was part of a, a business networking event that met weekly. And And when I left, my last my last meeting there, I had a lot of, lot of people there come up to me and just say, you know, thank you for that thing you said a couple of months ago, and I, I couldn't remember it. And, and they said, you know, because you said this, this, this is how I've changed this in my life. And there was three or four or five people who said this, and I even received emails months after from from members of that group saying, "Thank you for doing this." And I I had no idea I was doing this, and I probably wouldn't have known if I hadn't have left. It was their opportune moment to to express this, 
And so I'm really, you know, really seeing this this leadership style, this change agent that's happening, you know, very very quietly. And you know, the world the world is on the the cusp of great change, and the old ways uh, are shifting out for this new way of being. And and you know, I acknowledge and, and understand that we do need forms of you know leaders that stand there and take charge and will hold the space in centre stage. And needs to be a place for everybody. But I'm also recognizing that it's shifting. There's this quality shifting through in order to raise the vibration of this planet is that there's a new wave of leadership coming through. Mm. Now, I want to ask you, because what I, I'm also getting talking to you about this new kind of leadership is that a lot of it has to do with energy, more so than like outward um, doings, but simply by listening and by asking the right questions and being like that catalyst, that change agent there's an energetic exchange going on that might people might not recognize, but they they do recognize it like after a while and say, "Wow, that really helped me." Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's the women instigating this who have already stepped into you know into that energetic change who have who have created or or stepped into their own spiritual development at, at some level. Mm. So yeah, it is a strong energetic leadership style. I want to go back to um, you saying that it was your son that called it in. Can you describe what that is? Like when you became um, aware of this work that you're going to do, can you describe how you came about doing this intergenerational clearing? I'm really fascinated by that because I do believe that when we heal ourselves, we're not just healing whatever it is for ourselves personally, but it does affect our, our lineage, our ancestry. So I'd love you to describe your work doing ancestral clearing and, and what you mean by your son calling that in. Sure. So I call myself an accidental ancestral clearer because I never set this intention to do this. I mean, I met my husband in the Australian Army. I then became a school teacher, and the kind of not not kind of not a pro- career progression from army to to healer. It's it's not something I ever planned. And I was I was on this course when my son was about um, eighteen months, and we we were talking about ancestors and and how it was linked to the base chakra of the tribe. And we were, we were pretty much told to go home and forgive our ancestors. And we had a little bit of a process around that. And it really caught me by surprise when I, when I sat down that day to, to undertake the home play or the task, I created and I drew out this great big map. And I just started to, to feel and sense things that had happened within my family line and, and our living memory only goes back to a great grandparent. So I only ever met one great grandparent. She didn't speak English. She died when I was 10. So I really didn't know her. And I started to to know things. And so I, I got a journal and I started to write. And I was just randomly selecting people out of the ancestral lineage and just writing whatever came to me. And I came to this this woman in my mother's father's line and she was in complete terror. And she was afraid and it felt like she was walking on eggshells around her husband. And so my, my inquisitive mind went, I wonder who he is. And I flipped the page over to see if I'd written about him. And I, I'd forgotten I'd written about him and all this information. He was um, domestically violent. He was abusive. He was quite a quite an unsavory character. And couples started matching and, and I just gathered all of this information and um, – 
I guess the person I am, the way I, I'm structured and the way I think is I really think in systems and patterns. So once I'd gathered all this information, I kind of went, you know what, that's not enough. I kind of want to know more. And I needed more than just stories. So I, I just sat with it and went, well, what beliefs have come through the family line? And that was when it really hit me. As I was going through my father's mother's line, my, my grandmother was English and she married an Australian soldier to you know, to get a better life for herself and her children. But I know I knew that, but I never understood it because on the farm I grew up with my father's father and my father's mother there, my grandparents were there probably half of the time. And he was really violent and aggressive. Um, I'm the eldest of three girls and I'm pretty sure to his, you know, to his last breath on earth, he didn't actually know who was who. He really had a dislike for us. He didn't particularly favor my father. And then my father went and married a German woman. So I'm the first out of the lineage to be born outside of Germany. So he married a German woman and had half German children. So he really didn't have much, you know, much of anything towards us. And so I never really got, you know, what was so bad in England that granny married granddad. And when I was going through my grandmother's lineage, I started to really get a sense of just how impoverished they really were. And through each generation, they were poorer and poorer to the point where some of those families needed to decide which children got to eat that evening and which ones didn't. It was very impoverished. And the feeling with that was the same feeling I had about four years earlier when I started my business. When I stepped into business, I used to get this really horrible sensation of I was going to starve, I'm not going to have enough to retire. And I was 30, it was absolutely ridiculous. My husband was earning good money. Like there was no nothing in the physical world that could reflect this feeling. And it was often triggered by a client cancelling or rescheduling. And so what happened for me was as I stepped into my own business and left, you know, predominantly government jobs and into my own business, for the first time ever, you know, money blocks came up. I'd never, never had to deal with with sales and budgeting. It just wasn't within within the education department's role as a teacher. And so I was triggering these abundance blocks and it opened the doorway to feel my ancestors' fears around money. And that's when I really understood the key to to clearing ancestral lineage is through the beliefs experienced through trauma, through everyday events. And it's it's been a process of clearing them out, completely transformed our lives. My my German side, my grandfather, he passed away a couple of years ago and and shame has been through the German line really strongly. Mm. We didn't actually know until recently, and we had a sense of this when we channeled this information, was that uh, my grandfather was a Nazi soldier and he actually was a guard commander at Auschwitz for a period of time. And it just it explained the shame and it, it helped us understand how within our family line, with my mother, with myself, with my sisters, just how easy it is for us to become embarrassed to, to put ourselves out there is a great big challenge because shame is an emotion that is so at the surface of this lineage that it's triggered so, so easily. And the, you, know, you can only begin to imagine what he may have experienced as a, as a 15-year-old. He was 15 when he was a guard commander at Auschwitz, still a boy, and the wow. things he had to go through. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's pretty much how I became um, an ancestral clearer. It was probably... So you basically did it on yourself, uh, yeah, like I'm accidentally ended up doing it on yourself and then yeah. saying, wow. And then taking- <laughs> I took it to my parents yep. and I went, hey, is this real or am I crazy, basically? 
And my my father's half English, half Scottish, and um, I traced this this curse. And if you've got Scottish lineage, curses are kind of really rife through Scottish lineage. They're really something that's that's been um, they kind of handed them out quite quickly and easily and picked them up. So it's quite common to find curses when there is a Scottish uh, lineage. And I found this lineage, um, you know, my great-grandmother, my grandfather's mother, she was quite a horrible woman from what my dad has had told me before I, I'd even channeled this, and quite nasty and manipulative and vindictive. And and I trace this back through this this family line and and the, the PG version of what I described it was there were it was a mean line like they were quite mean and um, obsessed with blood I could feel it in their blood and they were either butchers or they they beat their wives until they they bled and and when I took this to dad and I said you know there's a long line of butchers through our family and dad said you know I don't consciously know this but everything in my body about this says yes and so that's what happens with ancestral lineage it's not something outside of you when I'm working with my clients I'm not gathering the tools or the information from an outside source it's actually sitting in their bones in their cells in their DNA and my job is to bring it up into awareness so that they can consciously connect with it and and whilst you might not know the information you feel it and you go oh my gosh this this explains so much and I, I cleared my family line and then I turned to my husband and I said, well, you're the other half of our son's map. We need to sort your side out. And, <laughs> How um, did, he, did he respond well to that? Uh, he's beautiful. He, um, <laughs> he was never interested in this work until he got cancer. So it took, you know, literally death knocking on his door for him to say one day, I think in that first week of an oncology ward, he said, babe, I think I need what you've got. And I'm kind of going, mm, you reckon? Oh, so, oh my goodness. A, That's beautiful. <laughs> six by four by two inch tumor around his heart and lungs. And he was back at work within four months. So oh. he's, he's very open to this. And I just, I could not do what I do without his support. He's my rock. So I turned to him and said, hey, you know, we need to sort your, your side out. And it was really interesting. There were phrases that were coming through, particularly his mother's side. So he's half Irish, a bit English, a bit, bit of German. And um, particularly through his his mother's side, there were phrases and things that were coming out through the uncovering the ancestors that his mother says. And it just it just blew us away that the the um, the mirror and the reflection coming through the present day family members. So we, we cleared that and it wasn't until 12 or 18 months later that I just, it really dawned on me that this, this was my son calling it through. This actually had nothing to do with, with me clearing the past. This little boy that I have, and I, I was very aware of him for about three years before we even conceived him. And I, I was very aware of there was going to be traits and aspects of him that, that I knew were going to, to be within him after he was born. He's one of these new new children coming through. You watch him and he doesn't learn a thing. He doesn't have to learn. He's remembering. This little boy is as bright as, as a button and at three and a half, he's telling us things that he did when he was one and we've never done it again. So we drove past a park once and he talked all about it. And my husband and I looked at each other and went, we went there when he was one and he's remembering and these children he's he's here to shift the vibration of the planet but he can't he can't do it with an old backlog of out of date belief systems around 
relationships, intimacy, money, leadership, um, personal empowerment, psychic gifts, all of this stuff that we've cleared out, it's so that he can step forward and step up into this world the way the way that his life purpose and life mission, you know, has kind of been written in the stars. And so I really see it. The women that come to me, they're the ones who can hold the space in the family for this work. It's it's unlike any other modality. When you know, I'm trained in a lot of different modalities, and I might have a session where where I might heal an aspect of my relationship with my mother. But ancestral work, you're clearing 126 people at seven generations. And so the women who find themselves, and, and I've had a few men who find themselves with the desire to clear their ancestral lineage, they can hold the space. And there's a lot of them who have these children who are calling in a new way of being. And that's that's very much why I describe, you know, my son called this in and you know, I stepped into personal development when I was about 28. My parents were in their 50s. You know, he's he was using smudge sticks at 18 months and smudging us. I, I caught him the other day on my cushion meditating. Like this is normal, natural for him, and this is what he's calling in. So that's that's how I describe. You know, he he called this in. Mm, that's incredible. Now, I wanted to ask you. This is so fascinating to me. Um, I would say, like, just listening to all of this, like, when you're working with someone or if someone is listening and they then they think, mm, one of the signs or the signals that you're not coming from, you're coming from sort of a, an ancestral history that you're carrying something yeah. is when there is a non-reality of the, the strong feeling you're having. So, in other words, your feeling is greater than that particular current situation do you know what I mean like yeah I do would that be a sign like you know like you're reacting to something but it's way over the top of what the situation actually really is yeah it can be it's a really strong sign particularly when you've been trying to track down what it is so when I started business and I was getting those feelings when a client cancelled I started to work with healers and coaches. I read books and applied them. Um, I even went on on a retreat or two, and you know, I invested hours of time and thousands of dollars and and a huge amount of energy trying to trace down you know, what is this money block because because it looked like a money block to me, mm. and I was plagued with this feeling I could not get rid of. And and whilst I was clearing stuff, doing this work, I couldn't shake this feeling, and I I've just got to the point where I went, well, that's it. I'm, I'm doomed with this. Like this is inevitable. This is my life's, you know, destiny. And so when I stepped into my father's mother's line and felt that feelings, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks that it wasn't even mine to begin with. So no wonder, you know, I was barking up the wrong tree. I was looking for stuff within me and it wasn't there. And so it's often, often a sign if you've been trying to, you've done a few things and be trying to figure out, you know, what this is and you can't shake it, it is a good sign that it's an ancestral uh, block. And family dynamics and family patterns, they sometimes can be tricky to uncover simply because they're so ingrained within us. You know, our family way of being is so ingrained with us. So sometimes they are a little bit um, tricky. So another another way of um, testing whether it's um, or checking to see whether it's ancestral or not is actually having a look around you. Can you see that belief system playing out in other family members around you? And the interesting thing I found with ancestral work is 
is belief systems run through the ancestral line, but they can be expressed or activated differently in family members. So it's not about looking at the the response or the, the behavior. It's more about looking at the belief system and just tuning in and going, well, is this, you know, is this coming through my, my family somewhere? And you may see those patterns unfolding through the family line. A really great way of actually testing and checking, if you're familiar with the, the human pendulum, it's where you, you ask yourself a yes or no and your body is going to rock either backwards and forwards. And it's a really powerful tool. But the, the really um, powerful way of doing it is to drop your energy into your, your gut and holding that belief or that challenge or that problem and feeling into it and asking yourself, is this ancestral? And just feel which way your body pulls. Is it yes or no? Or do you hear the words yes? Do you hear the words no? So you can actually um, test and check. I've never heard of this. Can we just explore that a little bit more? Human pendulum, like I've used a pendulum, done sort of kinesiology testing on myself. But when you say moving back and forth, is it like a pendulum where moving forward means yes and moving back means no? Or is it just just something that happens in your body and you get the, the knowing? So with the human pendulum, you, you stand up and you bring yourself into a neutral feeling mm-hmm. and you might ask yourself, you know, um, so is, is my name Helena? And my name's Helena, so I will feel this little pull forward and it's almost like a little rope in my guts is just pulling me forward and you might even, it might even be as extreme as your heels lift up off of the ground and you might move forward but you get this sensation of, of pulling forward. Don't be alarmed if if you get pulled backwards, it's just, so you've got to calibrate it first. So some people, there's a small group of people who go backwards for forwards. So it's just about identifying where, um, whether you're a forwards or backwards for yes. And then you ask yourself a no question, you know, do I live on the moon? No. And you will feel your body mostly rock backwards and it should move the other way or, or forwards if it's the other way around. And you get this feeling the challenge I've seen with this particular tool is that a lot of focus is on the head. A lot of the energy is up around the thinking space. It's about dropping it down to, to the gut region and feeling through your guts when you do this as opposed to thinking your way through it. Um, I've taught this to a lot of people. It's, it's, a, it's a technique and a tool that you can listen to your body. So it might be, um, you know, you could be out somewhere and you just, you might you might get this this feeling that you want to leave and you go, is it best for me to leave? Yes, I'm going to going to leave now. Or um, I know I did this when I signed up to uh, my counselling qualifications. Do I do my counselling first or my life coaching? And I really wanted to do my life coaching first. My body kept saying yes to counselling and I went, okay, I'm going to trust you. I did my counselling program, then signed up for my life coaching. Then um, because I'd done my counselling program, I got like a quarter of it um, RPLs, but if I had done it the other way around, I wouldn't have had any RPLs. So it's it's it was really interesting. Even though my head's going, come on, let's do the life coaching. This is what you really want to do. The body kept coming up, counselling first, counselling first, and I didn't get it, but I went with it, and it saved me a huge amount of time and money because I had you know twenty five percent RPLs. Wow, I love that. I love that that emphasis on, you know, really listening to your body and trusting like this, that's the thing. This is what we're all about is just tuning into that intuition, that guidance, whatever yeah. word we want to call it, you know, the head is saying, no, 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 or whatever it says. And, 
you know, it's about more and more and more for all of us to get to that gut feeling to really trust yeah. in it and trust in it. Because we're not, I mean, I wasn't brought up to uh, focus on that and trust in that. You know, the mental was the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. It took, it actually took for us to sit in the head of radiation's office with four of her team members. Um, saying to my husband, if you don't do radiation, you will die. And his body the whole way through said, no, no, no. And we sat there and we said to her, no. And she um, bullied us and called us names and told us we were a waste of her time and um, wouldn't give us time to have a talk about it or think about it. And when we said we wanted five minutes to go and have a chat, she kind of, you know, got up us and said, you know, don't you waste my time. If you come back, I can't guarantee I'll, I'll fit you in, even though she knew we had to drive four hours to get to her appointment. And Justin and I, we were shaking when we sat down outside. We were just shaking. And his body kept saying no to radiation. And we sat there and our motto through his whole cancer journey was their way is one way. And if it's not our way, we will find another way. And we turned it down and we walked out that door and we, you know, we, ne we never looked back. And it's been six years since he's had cancer, completely cancer-free. But it took that space for me to be able to then trust my body following that because that was being bullied by medical staff. It's scary. It's scary when you sit there and they tell you, if you don't do this, your husband's going to die. And, um, yeah, it was quite, quite an experience one that has been incredibly valued and one I don't ever want to go through again. However, it's something that that has taught me the, the trust in the body. So when we when we found out we were pregnant, I went straight to my husband, home birth. I, I want to have a home birth. I trust my body knows what to do. I don't want to be in the hospital. I don't want to fit into somebody's graph and somebody's system and and I want to I want to trust my body. And that was the experience we had with the birth of my son. We had a planned time water birth with three midwives present. And it was all me and trusting my body. So it often it often can take quite a a um, strong experience for you to really get what it's like to, to trust your body. And we just don't trust them enough. So I encourage everybody when when you get that gut instinct, when you get that little knowing. You know, listen, like your body's always talking to you and, and guiding you. It's kind of where the, the messages can come through. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us, Helena. That is really beautiful and it's such a great example. And I wanted to encourage the listeners, I think that listening is so key, like because in order to listen to the body, we have to you know, pause or stop or make a little bit of time in our lives to actually listen because it's so easy to get caught up and get caught up and busy and become very mentally oriented. So what do you do on a daily basis to drop in and listen? I have less actual practices now than I than I have ever have. And I think partly because I've fine-tuned this um, so much through through the cancer experience, through the birth of my son, um, becoming a mother and having that mother's instinct just explode in a way that I, I couldn't understand, knowing things about him and his needs that I couldn't explain without any prior experience in it. And then building this this business, building a modality from scratch, I feel I feel like I've probably had 
um, you know, a lot of practices fall away, but the essence of them is is there. If there was something that that I did on a regular basis, it was outside in nature. So we we are an outdoors family, and um, I like to get my feet in the grass. I like to garden, and I really feel that every time my hands are in the soil, it's or my feet are on the grass. I'm connecting to a deeper wisdom. There is one practice that I, I do regularly and it is to get into a space of gratitude for a few minutes and then I just send love. And whatever area I'm focusing on, it, it might be, um, and this is the way that I actually fill up my, my bookings, I've become booked out again by doing this practice. It's send love and I send love behind me to all of my past clients. I send them so much love and I don't think of them personally. I just send love to past clients. And then out of my sides, I send love to my present client base. And then into the front, I send love to my future clients. And I've had I've had people from North Queensland contact me recently, you know, can I work with you? And I haven't been up there for over four years now. And it's just it's just a way that I connect in and and you know, it happens in different spaces where we're manifesting um, a spot for my son in school. And it's a very difficult school to get into. There's one Steiner school in Brisbane, and I really want him to to attend that school. And so I just I just love bomb them. I send them love. I raise our vibration up, and I send them love. And I I see my son at that school, and us dropping him off. So raising my vibration up and sending love, I found has been really valuable. And not just for drawing in what what it is that we're desiring, but it's also for when things get a little bit sticky. So if there's been an uncomfortable conversation, if there's been um, a challenge, which we've had a great deal of challenges this year, if there's been a challenge, It's I send love. And I find that um, it's just become natural for me to be in a place of, of peace no matter what's going on. We've had deaths this year. My husband lost his job. He had to go work overseas. Um, we just had to put our beloved dog down recently. Like we've just... We've had one thing after the other this year, and the thing that I've I've really gotten this year is that I'm in a place of peace. No matter how stressful it might be, no matter how challenging it, it might be, I find myself at peace with what's going on. And I find that that the Western world and you know the marketing bombardment focuses so much on happiness and so much on sadness, but these emotions, they come and go like waves in the ocean, and you can be at peace while you're sad and frustrated, you can be at peace while you're happy and joy filled. And I find that when you're at peace, this art of practicing being at peace, no matter what's going on, you're able to tune in a lot better. You're able to make decisions that are more heart centered and the, the ebb and flow of emotions really reduce. So it goes from being a tidal wave to being just a gentle little roll of, of waves. So I guess that's probably the practices or what I'm doing in life at, at present. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing those little pearls of wisdom. And also it inspires the listeners, I'm sure, to um, find their own practice of, you know, just being able to listen deeply to you. And the other thing, I love the love bomb. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and also that, you know, really, I know I've talked about this in other shows and it, it might sound a little corny, but really love is the essence of everything. It's the glue that holds the universe together and it really has no boundaries and it just infuses everything. And if we remember that, if we tune into that, if we send that out, if we receive that, things do shift and change. And like you said, instead of a big tidal wave, we can be at peace and feel the love that's always there. It's always there. 
Yes, absolutely. Now, I wanted to ask you, Helena, um, do you work just live with clients or do you work online as well? All my work's online. Okay. I've been I've been fortunate enough and lucky enough to have grown a global client base. So I have I have my my timetable set up to make sure that I'm capturing each time zone. So I have one afternoon where I work late into the evening, and I have one morning where I start quite early, and um, it just gives everybody, a, you know, all my client base, to an opportunity to connect with me at, at a civil hour versus um, a ri- ridiculous o'clock. So, because <laughs> it's all got, well, I just messaged one of my clients in Europe. She's booked in, and it's like five thirty in the morning. So I, I messaged her and said, "Let's find a more civil, let's find a more civil time that will suit you," because yeah. she's got <laughs> young children. So I do I do all of my work um, predominantly just online, and um, I am bringing it into a, a live format. Hopefully within the, within less than twelve months, I'm actually in the early stages of developing this into a recognised and accredited modality. I can really feel just how how important and how much it's needed for everybody to have access to clearing their ancestral lineage. And right now, I'm kind of the only person who's offering it in this this format so I have this vision and this mission and this prayer to build a a global base of practitioners who can offer this work and clear ancestral lineage because I really can feel it's really needed and really being called in and and um the, the feedback I get has been has been incredible in terms of results you know businesses changing relationships are completely becoming different and in all levels. It doesn't just influence the client I'm working with. It extends through their entire family. So one of my clients, um, past clients, she lives overseas and we did a lot of belief systems around around money and, and in particular on her father's side couldn't save money. And um, she messaged me to say just recently that her 80-year-old father is saving for the first time in his life. And it was something that we had addressed and cleared in 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 her in you know her clearings, and I, I love getting this kind of feedback. One of my clients, her business since doing the clearing, she's getting bookings out of nowhere because we we cleared up all of these money blocks and people are just arriving at at her doorstep. So it's been it's been really incredible. And the clients I'm working with, they're finding um, I've had quite a quite a bit of feedback around this one actually that. Um, you know, a lot of families are tight-lipped around uh, past, you know, past family members for whatever reason, or they just don't know. And one of my clients, she comes from an incredibly strict um, Catholic family on her mother's side, and her father passed away when when she was in her twenties, and she's now in her forties, so she doesn't have access to family history. And she said, out of nowhere, her mother's just starting to share with her family information and and family stories. So it's it's quite quite incredible. Um, one of my clients, she went and had a uh, psychic mediumship reading halfway through our our time together, and she didn't tell the psychic that she was doing ancestral work. And the psychic said to her, "Look, your grandmother, who died about five years ago, she said your grandmother's turned up and she's got this really weird message. I hope you understand it. But your grandmother has saying that you don't know the impact you're having by doing this ancestral healing." She said, "Are you doing something ancestral?" And she went, "Um, yes." So it's it's showing up in really interesting interesting places. It's fascinating, absolutely incredible, and really a gift that you're bringing in through through your own personal experience. But now it's gotten so much bigger than that, and it's so wonderful, 
Helena. Now, I want to just make sure that the listeners know how to get in touch with you. Mm -hmm. So what's the best way? So I've got my my website. So it's helenaryan.com.au. I'm also on um, Facebook. So it's Helena Ryan Ancestral and Clearer. And they're the best ways to contact me. I offer, if if people are interested in in the work, I actually offer a 30-minute complimentary um, compatibility conversation where we can actually connect and have a chat about whether this is the right step forward for you. Um, I like to to meet everybody before they actually come on board a program so I can feel that, you know, this is the right thing for them at at this time and and that, that they can hold the space for their family line to do this work. So, um, you know, they're welcome to, to book a compatibility conversation if it's something that interests them. Mm, wonderful. And I'll put all of those links on the show notes for this episode. So if you go into the um, episode, there'll be links on my website for the episode with Helena Ryan. Thank you so much, Helena. This has been absolutely fascinating and enlightening. And I'm really grateful that you came on the show today. My absolute pleasure. Thank you all for being here today. If you enjoyed the episode, please go to iTunes and give it a review and subscribe. And don't forget to join our private Facebook group, Brilliant Misfits. And for more information on living a creative life, www.asiakennedy.com.